Welcome to Tech Insights from Infotech Research Group, the podcast where a group of expert analysts cut through all the noise and focus on what really matters for technology leaders. At Google I.O. this week, the Silicon Valley giant showed off a vision of what web conferencing might look like in the future. It's called Project Starline. And you know they had a dramatic marketing video ready to introduce the technology. Let's listen in. So imagine instead of looking at a screen, you're looking at a magic pane of glass. And through that glass, you're seeing another person on the other side. Hi, can you see me? Say hi to Auntie. Oh my gosh, I love you. Eddie. <laughs> so you look beautiful. And then you just start having a conversation, just like you would if you were physically together. Like, I feel like you're here. This is wild. I can see that curl in your hair. I can see how your sweater is falling. Yeah. <laughs> but then you'll be saying, put on a little lipstick, Maury. <laughs> there are really three breakthroughs coming together here. One is the ability to capture people as they are. The second is the ability to compress that information and send it over existing networks efficiently. And the third is the ability to render that person viewable through a three-dimensional display. So it really feels like you're talking with someone right in front of you. <laughs> we see this as a first step in applying technology to solve that really important problem that we often want to be together and we can't. Wow. It's like Google knows what's on my mind. Yes, after more than a year in lockdown, I do wish I could see real humans again. But I can't. And the web conferencing that I'm doing more and more of all the time, is starting to make it feel like I'm living in low resolution. But Project Starline isn't going to change my experience, or yours, anytime soon. It's just a prototype. And that got me wondering what actual web conferencing vendors are going to do to make my experience a little bit better in the months ahead. To learn about that, I'm bringing in Infotech analyst Thomas Randall today. He's on top of the web conferencing trends, and he's here on Tech Insights. Welcome, Thomas. Pleasure. Thank you. So what did you think of Project Starline? Sure. Uh, well, I think it's certainly impressive. Uh, absolutely fits the zeitgeist for the way conferencing and video chats is moving. Um, we already see the blurring of physical and virtual worlds in the form of virtual reality headsets and digital workspaces, and the pandemic's only exacerbated the move toward hybrid environments for both work and personal contexts. Uh, and there's going to be some clear use cases for Project Starline, and we've caught a glimpse of that in the trailer for how it could be used in those personal environments. But in work too, there's clear uses for long distance interviews and enhancing remote live events, that sort of thing. Um, the only thing that I worry about, the first thing that I thought about when I saw the trailer with, is uh, if you're already struggling with low resolution conferencing and video chat from poor bandwidth or a poor ISP, uh, I wait to see how Project Starline performs out in the wild. Yeah, that is the big question. Um, I read a little bit about it and, um, you know, Google says that it would work if you had it wired up, you know, you don't want this running over your Wi-Fi connection. So plug it into internet, uh, but it would work over like a standard office uh, broadband connection and they use the WebRTC uh, 
compression format or transmission format to um, to send the data. So nothing too um, advanced there that it would work over the normal internet. So that was good to hear. And I noted in the video that they showed uh, the, the the prototypes are set up in New York City and in uh, Los Angeles or, or Silicon Valley maybe. But um, you know that's a whole uh, country apart. So they're going coast to coast and. Um, of course, that was a controlled environment, but those people did seem to have a good experience that they uh, handpicked for this marketing video, whatever that means, right? But, you know, as I'm watching that video, I'm thinking about the technology that's going into it and the screen that they're using. Because anytime you have like a 3D screen that you don't need glasses for, that's pretty interesting to me. And uh, it made me think of some of the gimmicky screens that I've seen in um, like conferences over the years. If you walk around the trade uh, show floor, you'll see so sometimes you'll walk by, it'll catch your eye, you'll be like, hey, wait, that was in 3D. And um, of course, you know, the, the way that you have to make a 3D image, Thomas, is that you have to send different light uh, signals to the left eye and the right eye. And the way you do that without glasses is that you have a, a special parallax screen that has two different layers that sort of bends these light fields. Uh, but to make that work, you'd have to get that person to be in a very specific position so that the light beams are hitting their eyeballs just so, right? So I guess that could work because this thing is like a booth and you're sitting down. Um, and so you're in a fixed position. So I, I think it could work, but how, how good that 3D experience is, um, I do wonder. I'm sure it would be like an impressive thing to see the first time, but then uh, would that hold up upon uh, consistent use? Yes, yeah, so the key, key point, as you mentioned, is it's all in a controlled environment. The lighting sets to a perfect uh, point. They're sat in the perfect point. Uh, you know, they're directed by those who have set up the uh, engagement. So I think again, if you're going to shift that environment into the home, uh, in that personal context, it'd be interesting to see how it evolves that way. I can see how, in say, an office space where you're in the city you could see how that infrastructure could be implemented fairly straightforwardly. Outside of that context, there's a lot of work to do, I think. Right. I mean, it's not that far outside the realm of possibility. We see something like that set up in offices, like maybe in a C-suite, right? You get um, high-end executives that want to meet with their counterpart in Asia, around the world, you know, some sort of scenario like that. I could see it. Uh, we set up these high-end, like Cisco-oriented video call rooms right now. So uh, I do think there is an appetite for that and that people would pay to have that sort of experience where it feels like you're meeting in person, even though you're not. So let's set that aside, though, because that's way out there in the future. That was a fun prototype to see. But you're writing, Thomas, about the real web conferencing trend that we're seeing right here in the year 2021. And I want to break those down with you. So let's just go through them one at a time. And your first trend that you wrote about web conferencing must adapt to hybrid work. What does that mean? Yes, um, there's quite a few interesting trends that we're 
seeing and I tried to condense it down to three. So there, there could be more that we could uh, speak to. Uh, but this first one, that web conferencing must adapt to hybrid work, I think this is almost self-evident uh, now at, at this point. It's very difficult to argue, I suppose, unless you're the CEO of WeWork, uh, it's fairly self-evident to uh, most that we're going to move into this hybrid work environment with this fluid interchange of people going into the office some days, staying at home some others, or, you know, working from anywhere. And I think that really is that key term that encapsulates it. Uh, it doesn't really matter where I am. If I've got connection to internet, I've got a device that can give me access to a uh, certain network and so on. Uh, that That's the way in which the movement's going at this point. And there are some interesting statistics to, to back this up that you can look anywhere for these kinds of statistics. But overall, the trend is that uh, some employers uh, planning to shift some of their employees to remote work permanently and a very high number of workers want to have a combination that's um, flexibility of remote work uh, too. It's not going to work in all cases, some people will have to go in to uh, the organisation they work, but for say uh, in the knowledge sector or if you're uh, working in an office and you can uh, work so long as you've got access to the internet and all the other bits and pieces you need, that's the way in which it's going to go. Uh, that, of course, does mean uh, a few things, and we've been working and trying to navigate through this complicated environment. What does it mean for uh, the way in which we support workers with training and using these kinds of pieces of software and hardware uh, efficiently? Uh, how, what kinds of technology should they be given? What's an acceptable use policy look like? Um, all, all these things are important, but I think it's not just temporary. I think as we approach the tail end of this year, uh, hopefully uh, we're going to be able to have that option of going in and out of work. Yeah, I think that you're hitting on a big pain point here uh, that people were intimidated by their web conferencing rooms in the office before. And I compare it to my experience at Infotech. Um, you walk into those rooms, beautiful uh, glass conference rooms that we have in the theater there in the Masonic Temple office here in Toronto, um, and a great room to use. But any time that I wanted to um, bring somebody in via video conference, I was just sort of like, what's the process here? Uh, because there is like this screen that has to come down from the ceiling that appears and then... Um, what What is the actual software? How do I send them the link to connect? What, where am I supposed to be hearing them from? What, like, is it through the phone? Is it through the, is there a speaker somewhere? Like, it just is not immediately clear on how to use it. And I think this is a big problem that companies are going to have to solve because it's just going to be an average workday. We've got some people in the office, some people working remote um, now more than ever. Definitely. I mean, before the... Uh, uh, need for paying attention to people dialing in. Um, meetings were still starting about, I think the average was 10 minutes, 40 seconds late. Um, right. And part of that's technology frustrations. Of course, part of that is also just uh, catching up with your colleagues uh, just with small talk. But now it's not going to be the case where someone dialing in it might be forgotten about. You know, it's the one or two people that might be uh, remotely uh, calling in. It's going to be fairly, it could even be 50-50. And so we need to make sure that the playing field is uh, leveled. 
we need to make sure that the process in which we conduct meetings, uh, especially if we have half in the office, half calling in, we've got to make sure that we don't forget about those that aren't physically present in the room. And so that's going to call for a lot of conscious effort to remind ourselves that those who aren't physically there uh, still are, whether whether or not they're dialing in or through video conferencing, yeah. we need to make and, sure those processes exist. Yeah, and here's what I would advise companies that are doing that is don't just default to audio only. Get those people that are connecting remotely, get them on camera, get their face up on a really big screen up at the front of the room. I mean, it sounds like a silly thing, but honestly, this is how you, you remember that those people are there taking part in the meeting. But let's move on to your next trend, Thomas. It's vendors will increasingly offer enhanced capabilities to improve inclusivity. Yes, I think this has been uh, something that's become more and more pressing and pertinent. Uh, the there there are certain capabilities that we 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 now take for granted. I suppose things like being able to screen share and raise our hands in meetings, breakout rooms, uh, auto mute everybody, uh, have a meeting chat. Before the pandemic, you know, things like breakout rooms and so on might have been seen in a particular kind of best of breed tool, uh, but now it doesn't really matter which one I'm using. I, I've gotten used to it, and so I now expect it to be there. And I think more and more, especially given we're we've just talking about leveling the playing field for both people in and out of the office for joining uh, remotely. It's important that we are as inclusive as possible to ensure that everyone has a similar meeting experience. And of course, this not only ranges from, say, text-to-speech capabilities or closed captioning, changing of font sizes. Some of these we already see. But some other important additions are uh, coming more generally. We do see them in some specialized best-of-breed tools, but I think the trend is that everyone is still heading that way. Just as an example, we're also hoping to see that real-time translation, closed captioning, uh, the ability to overlay a live interpreter to a meeting uh, in a multitude of languages, including sign languages as well. Some specialized uh, tools like Kudo are doing this, but now that we've got some heavyweights like Cisco also moving in to this space, I think we're going to see a lot of vendors follow suit here. Uh, so this is why I think that the, not only is it intrinsically important to have those inclusive meetings, but we're actually seeing it play out now. What's Kudo? Kudo is a web conferencing tool that uh, specializes in having multi-language meetings. So they offer things like so, live translation, translation, the actual translators themselves. I'm not tied to Kudo. They're just one of those uh, archetypical examples of this capability. I see. Okay. Yeah. So this is all about accessibility and it goes back to making sure that everybody that you want included in your company can connect on an equal level and uh, it's about equality, right? So um, if you have somebody that is hard of hearing or deaf even, uh, how are they going to participate in, when the format is video conferencing? You know, it might, in some circumstances, using this sort of technology as an intermediary device, it can enhance accessibility because I can actually get that live closed captioning and read what's going on in a meeting. So in, 
you know, I could imagine that being uh, more useful of a way to participate in meetings in circum circumstances rather than just being in a room and, and trying to keep up. So that that's interesting. There might be an opportunity there for companies. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And uh, I suppose really on top of those kinds of capabilities, some other things that uh, are also going to help with that meeting experience, things that we're already seeing but are becoming more mature now uh, is especially things like AI driven noise cancellation, um, suppression of distractions in the background. Um, all these things are going to get better. Right. Uh, I suppose it's intrinsic to the to definition of machine learning. It will learn to be better. You know, just one thing that comes to mind for me here is having your webcam on. And, uh, you know, you and I are talking with our webcams on right now, even though we don't have to, because this podcast is audio only. But I just like uh, seeing the person that I'm talking to. And I notice that that's not the same standard across different companies when I get involved in people with people externally is that some individuals just choose to have their camera off all the time. Um, and I'm wondering how will companies navigate that, right? And how can you have this sort of feeling like, hey, if I'm showing my face, shouldn't you be doing the same? But maybe there's not, there's some sort of empathy you have to have there, an understanding that some people might be in a different circumstance where they can't turn on their webcam or they don't feel comfortable doing that. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a really good point, of, of course, uh, given uh, uh, most of us, if we're working from home, turning the camera on may not always be an option depending on what room we find ourselves in or the particular environment we find ourselves in, in which case, of course, uh, perfectly justified. It can also come down to the kind of message that you're trying to put across as well. There's some interesting literature actually on this where what is the right kind of medium for the kind of message that I'm trying to put across to certain people? And really it divides into two. On the one hand, you've got, I want to create alignment with my message, uh, in which case having that kind of face-to-face -face, uh, emotionally charged meeting is preferable to get everyone on the same page quickly. And then the other hand is uh, creating alignment where you want to try and get across a lot of information and give people a chance to process. So obviously on the former, having those face-to-face -face meetings or less to a lesser extent audio, you know, on, it's on a gradation scale, face-to-face -face is best for getting that connection because obviously a lot of our body language tells the story that we want to tell through the words we're using. Uh, shifting then to video conferencing because it might be the next best thing, audio the next best thing after that. But if we want to say just convey information, then that's where email and newsletters still play an important role for that. So okay. you don't need video conferencing necessarily all the time for every single message. Uh, yeah, good point. All right, let's get to this final trend, Tom. Suites will likely win out against best of breed web conferencing solutions. Yes, th this one's... Uh, Absolutely one that's more up for debate, I think. I think the previous two are almost observations. This third one is uh, more of an inference that could be talked about a bit more. Um, I think that uh, when dealing with a, a lot of uh, members for various kinds of uh, telephony or uh, collaboration or productivity uh, issues they're having, it's never really centered on web conferencing specifically. 
it's often tied up in broader questions about how does this look in terms of my phone system as well? How does it look in terms of the hardware we're using in a, a meeting room? How does it look like uh, when I'm trying to decide what my productivity suite is going to be? And a lot of vendors obviously have caught on to this. And in the uh, SaaS space world where we've got collaboration, communication and contact center capabilities meshing together, it's not really the case that you have uh, a big vendor just offering video conferencing solutions specifically. It's here is this solution that's part of this broader package of capabilities that we're also offering. Uh, so for instance, for productivity suites, it could be uh, Microsoft 365 or Google Workspace. If it's in UCAS, Ring Central, Avaya, Contact Center, Five9 in Contact, uh, and even Zoom, uh, that archetypical best of breed solution for web conferencing, even they've branched into telephony with Zoom phone and they've started making headway into the contact center space. And so I think what's going to happen, therefore, is because web conferencing is a part of these much bigger projects that organizations are currently uh, undertaking, specialized best of breed web conference solutions that might struggle to compete with that because unless you've got a real standout capability that a company absolutely must need it's going to be very difficult to justify why i should choose that when i already have an option with this other suite that i already had for other reasons so for that uh for, for, for those uh reasons there that's why i think eventually what we'll see is these much broader suites are probably going to win out against these best of breeds that makes perfect sense, Timmy. I mean, just in our own experience here and in all the different companies that I've uh, talked with uh, over the last year, uh, what I find is the most common theme with web conferencing is that they just end up using Microsoft Teams. And it's because almost every company is using Office 365. Teams becomes integrated with that. Microsoft has really thought out how they're putting Teams at the center of your workday, making it sort of a replacement for Outlook, I think, in many ways, uh, be becoming the place that you'll come to communicate with co colleagues, find your files, get your calendar organized. And um, it just makes sense to use it because it integrates with other things that you're doing in your workflow. And really, that's the strongest part of this. Uh, so if if Microsoft is able to connect us and the web conferencing works well, and we're happy with the quality and it's convenient, uh, it, they're just going to win. We're not going to be spending time looking for other solutions uh, to add to the tech stack there. Yep, no, I completely agree. And I'm glad that I was persuasive to, to convince you. Given this is just a one-on-one -on -one conversation, uh, I've got the other person on my side here, so that's good. Yeah, well, with that accent, Thomas, you could tell me anything, and I, I think I'd be on your side. Well, much appreciated. I've been working on it my whole life. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Um, well, I think that is a wrap. You told us the three trends. Thomas, thanks so much for your time today on Tech Insights. Thanks so much, Brian. Always a pleasure. And if you're listening to Tech Insights, thanks for tuning in. Remember, we have a new episode here every Monday morning, but you need to subscribe if you want that in your podcast app. So whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, really any app you use, you can subscribe to us. So sign up, give us a rating, give us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening again. I'm Brian Jackson.